Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to preach the word in a, in a minute. Shonda, you got that presentation down. Whoa. That's like just fire, you know. So good. We, yeah, totally believe in this ministry. And it was fun. I got to um, visit this past Wednesday the new home and did the chapel there for, for the ladies in the house. And just, and Shonda took me around, gave me a whole tour of the home, like, wow, what a gift, what a gift. Not, not that this home was a bad home down on Elmwood, but this, it's just nice to be out in the woods. You know, it's the first time I went there, so I'm like driving and driving, and I'm like thinking, I hope this GPS is right, because I'm going down this windy road past all these houses, and it's literally, yeah, it's like the last house, and there's this little circle there, and you're out, you are out in the middle of nowhere. It is so nice and quiet. <laughs> um, but yeah, what a gift. And I love visiting the house. One thing these guys know how to do is pray and they just know how to seek the Lord. It's so refreshing. I'm supposed to go there and minister to the ladies. I always get ministered too, you know, because the first, uh, I don't know, half an hour or so of the chapel, they're just seeking the Lord. They're just crying out to the Lord and these guys know, know how to do it. So yeah, we believe, we support, for those that don't know, uh, we don't support any ministries every single month except for Teen Challenge. <laughs> I don't know how Deb finagled that. <laughs> Somehow we couldn't say no to, to Deb McDonald, who's the director there. But, uh, but, but we are happy to do it. And of course, when they come, we bless them uh, financially. But so, yeah, today, you know, usually they'll come and they'll do testimonies and sing and do the whole production and everything. Uh, but we just felt like, you know what, let's just have them come and be refreshed and just hear the word and get some worship and uh, just sort of receive. And we're going to actually make some, um, provide a meal for them afterward. And so when I shared that with them this Wednesday, I, I can't remember who said, one of them said, no, nah, you're speaking our language. <laughs> it's like a day off, you know, for them. Like, well, we don't have to do anything. We could just come and enjoy church. Uh, so that, that's kind of the idea. Um, so we want them to sit and relax. However, we do want them to stand up and come up here in the middle. You don't have to say anything. We just want you to come up. Uh, so yeah, come on up, ladies. You can come to Shandy. And just kind of form, you know how to do it, just a little kind of huddle up here in the, in the front. Awesome. Yeah, we're really excited. And now I want to ask um, some of our elders and spouses and council members and other leaders uh, just to come on up. Maybe you guys, well, I guess that's fine. We can do the line. It's kind of nice. But yeah, let's, guys, come on up and I'll lead out in prayer, but maybe just put a hand on, on one of them and, and let's just pray for these guys. Uh, it is a fight. This is a 15-month program, and it's not, uh, it's not Disney World, you know? It's, like, it's, it's, it's difficult to live with a bunch of people that you don't really know uh, for a long period of time, and they're, they're kind of in the, they're in the furnace, in a sense. You know, they're being shaped. They're being refined. They're learning the Word of God. It's, it's not an easy thing. It's a joy, and they're in a nice house and everything, but it's also, it's... It's a, it's a work, right? It's a work of refining. I remember the, the days, the early days of my walk with God when 
it's just it's just hard when God it just feels like God is hammering you and shaping like you're on the anvil right and just he's just pounding things out of you and shaping you and it's hard and you just want to like get up and run <laughs> you just want to like like David said oh that I had wings like a dove and fly away and be at rest but we want to pray that they would uh, endure and stick it out and and just get everything that God wants to put in them Let's pray for them now. Father, we we just love these women. We are so grateful that you plucked them out of the world and out of their drug lifestyles and addictions, and you have placed their feet on a rock. Lord, you have put them in Christ. You have put them not only in Christ, but you've given them this season of blessing, this you know kind of setting aside, this setting apart of 15 months of their life to go deep in God. And Lord, we pray that, that this season would uh, just transform them utterly, God, that you would just shape them and root them so deeply in you. God, we pray that you would protect them, preserve them, God. Lord, it is normal to have the urge to, just like King David, to, to just want to fly away and be at rest or just get out of the, you know, get out of the furnace. But Lord, we pray that you would just uh, be with them in those moments when they want to just fly away. Uh, guard them, keep them. Lord, we pray that you would preserve the unity of these ladies with each other and with the staff in the house. Lord, I remember Bible school, how there were just so many rules, and it was just, oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so crazy. But Lord, it's good for us. And so, Lord, I pray that they would just endure the just the house rules and all those different kinds of things. Keep them in the love of God. Lord, we pray for this house. We pray for this ministry. We pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. Lord, it's already so blessed. Your hand is on it in incredible ways, but we pray that it would increase and abound. We pray that, that, that more ladies would come into it, more finances would come. We pray that, Lord, they have five and a half acres of land. We pray that just expansion would happen. We pray, God, that you would just pluck more and more people out of drug lifestyles and bring them into this ministry and change their lives, all for the glory of Jesus. Uh, so Lord, thank you for these women. Thank you for the work you're doing in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys for coming. All right. All right, so today, if you are brand new with us, we're going to uh, be looking at the, the book of Acts, which is kind of a historical account of the early Christians, for those that don't know. And we're, we're actually doing a series, and we're about halfway through. And right now, we are in chapter 16. All right? So if you have a Bible, you can... You can turn there. I'm going to go through a lot of, what time is it? Okay. Hmm. I'm going to talk fast today because <laughs> I have a lot of material to cover. But we're in the book of Acts. <clears throat> I'm excited about this. And this particular chapter, uh, we see some reminders, Okay. Uh, that could be applied to our work as followers. Now, I know not everybody's a follower of Jesus in here, but if you're not, it's okay. You'll, I think, still glean a lot from this message. But I think probably the good majority of us are followers of Jesus. And as followers 
of Jesus, we are on mission, right? We are tasked by God to uh, go into all the world and make disciples, preach the gospel, share the gospel with people. And how many know it's difficult to do, right, in, in this particular generation? It's hard in every generation. I don't think any generation has it easy. There's always obstacles. It requires wisdom. And so uh, we get discouraged, I think, in New England because, you know, how many have, like, tried to reach their friends and they're, like, not having it? They don't want anything to do with it. Or we're trying to reach our coworkers and try to share the gospel with people and just, you know, it's awkward or people don't want to hear it or they just shut the door in our face kind of thing. And, and so, you know, we get discouraged. How do, how do we do this? Uh, well, chapter 16, really the whole book of Acts, but especially chapter 16, gives us some good uh, reminders and some good wisdom to take with us. Uh, so I preached on Acts 15 a couple weeks ago, and you know, it was, you know, just to give a little context, it was uh, the time when there were a bunch of, uh, we call them Judaizers, who were rising up, these false teachers saying, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, in order to, you know, kind of be right with God. And of course, uh, the apostles uh, resisted that because we're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace, right? We're saved by the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's why we're saved. So there was this big council that happened and these debates and decisions that were made and statements that were put in writing and these statements were taken out to the different churches. And that's what chapter 15 was all about, which brings us into chapter 16. I'll read the first verse. Paul, for those that don't know who Paul is, he is the apostle Paul, the probably the greatest Christian maybe that ever lived. Um, he wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he was kind of a, a late bloomer. He came to faith a, a little bit after uh, Jesus was re resurrected. Um, so Paul came also to, these are towns in the ancient world, Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy. And this is, uh, if you're wondering, this is the same Timothy that Paul writes letters to later. Um, we have two of the small letters in the New Testament are called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And they were letters written to this young pastor, young minister named Timothy. Uh, so Timothy was kind of a spiritual son to, to Paul, um, like a younger believer. Paul mentored Timothy. And it says Timothy was, he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So we aren't told uh, why exactly people thought so highly of Timothy, but we know that Paul had very high standards, right? Remember, uh, we read a couple chapters ago how he had originally taken John Mark with him on missions, but then John Mark kind of bailed halfway through and just went back home. And so Paul was like, we're not bringing him. We're not bringing him next time. And so Paul just had very high standards of who would accompany him on missionary travels because the work was hard. They traveled by foot. There were dangers. They would get beaten. All kinds of things would happen. Persecution would happen. So he wanted somebody tough who was deeply rooted in, in God. So Timothy must have been serious in his faith and the kind of man who I think Paul could, 
could depend on. All right. So verse three says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him. And now this will be shocking if you remember chapter 15 and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this should kind of shock you in a way, because didn't we just go through this whole thing in chapter 15 where Paul was like basically flipping out because these certain Jews were saying, no, uh, you know, the, 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 the Gentiles need to be circumcised. And Paul was like, no, they don't. And he argued strongly against it. And there was, you know, the whole thing. So why in the world is Paul having Timothy circumcised after everything that happened in chapter 15. It appears crazy, right, and on the surface. But remember that Paul was condemning the idea that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And that's not at all why he had Timothy circumcised. It wasn't to save Timothy. The reason was that Paul knew that some Jews would not take Timothy seriously because he wasn't circumcised. So Paul wanted to remove the obstacle to the Jews hearing the gospel. And Paul brings this out. This could be a whole message in itself in his letter to the Corinthians, Corinthians 9, when he says this, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, <clears throat> that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, actually. But he said that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak, and so on and so forth, right? I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. We can learn a lot from this example in our work of mission with people. When we consider how we should dress or act, um, it's not just a matter of not sinning, right? But it's how people will perceive us. Um, Here's an example. When I perform weddings, um, I tend to dress formally. I don't drink and I don't dance in these settings with the exception of uh, family weddings. That's a whole different thing. But it's not because I, I think it's wrong to enjoy a glass of wine or to, you know, get into, tear up the dance floor with, uh, you know, to an 80s pop song or something from the 80s. But, <clears throat> but it's, it's, not, it's not that I think those things are wrong, but it's because there are non-Christian people present, uh, especially older non-Christian people who would be really confused by it. If I'm like sharing the gospel and the serious uh, wedding ceremony, and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, ripping it up on the dance floor, it just would be like, what? Like, is, now, is there anything wrong with it? I'm free to do that. I can feel the pleasure of God on that if I were to do that, like at family weddings and stuff. But I, I don't do it 
for the sake of not putting an obstacle in people's way. It's just a cultural sensitivity. And, and this requires wisdom, and the Bible doesn't lay out for us every scenario. We have to kind of figure these things, figure these things out. Like if we were trying to reach golfers, which I'm not, but if somebody is, uh, it would be wise to learn proper golf etiquette, right? Which is very much a thing. Some of you know that. If we're trying to reach devout Muslims, it would be wise to not do things in front of them that would be offensive. Even if, they're, even if we're free to do them. If we're trying to reach people who think it's a sin to eat meat, or they're just, you know, very intense, uh, what's his name, Moby, right, is very super vegetarian lover of animals and all that. Like, I'm probably, if I go out to lunch with Moby, I'm not going to have, like, a bacon sandwich. Like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to have what he's having or something like that. Because that's just, isn't that, that's kind of love, right? You know, just, now you can say, well, that's hypocritical. If you eat bacon, you know, when you're alone, then you should eat bacon when you're in public. Okay, (laughs) just, no, that, I understand your principle there, but there's, even Paul said, you know, if you're doing something that makes your brother stumble, don't do it. And keep these matters between you and the Lord and, and, you know, do it privately. That's fine. But use wisdom when you're with people. Don't put unnecessarily, unnecessary roadblocks in, in front of them. The point is that it's wise to set aside our pr- freedoms uh, if they make it more difficult for someone to receive the gospel from us, right? It's kind of common sense, but uh, scripture goes into some depth to explain these things. So back to Acts 16, verse 4, uh, it says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. This is referring to the big decisions they made in chapter 15. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. All right. Let's come to verse 6. Now, this whole chapter is kind of broken up into these little fun stories. So this uh, first story is how God leads in strange ways. Um, That's not what your Bible heading says, but these are my little headings. But verse 6 says this, And they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia or Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now you might find it interesting to, to look at a map to see how all this played out. Paul and his team sent off from uh, Derby and Lystra, that area, and it made sense to you know kind of head north and, and spread the gospel up there um, into Phrygia and, and Galatia, uh, but they were Somehow, we are not told exactly how, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do that. And I don't know about you, but I want to know exactly how this happened. Like what, how did that, you know, what did that look like? You know, it seems reasonable, okay, this is my theory here, but to believe that if there was a physical roadblock or I don't know, some like natural disaster happened and created this huge gulf and they weren't able to get over into that region or there were soldiers that were blocked, that he, Paul would have like told us that. Um, but it's kind of a little mystical, you know, like forbidden by the spirit. You know, it just seems like there was, it was an inner voice 
that, that Paul was, was feeling that was holding him back from doing this particular thing, going in this direction. You know, he wasn't feeling a peace about it. And maybe you've had that experience yourself. So strangely, they head in a different direction, kind of south to Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus doesn't let them go. This is kind of getting a little crazy, Paul's thinking, right? Uh, he was hearing this inner voice. Um, and he's traveling with a team. Can you imagine the whole, like, all right, we're moving in this direction. Oh, here we go. We're going to go preach the God. Nope. Actually, we're not supposed to go. Oh, okay. All right. Well, where are we supposed to? I, I don't know. We're going to go try going down here. They do the same thing. And the spirit's like, no. They might have been, okay, does this guy know what he's doing? This is our fearless leader here. Um, he, he seems to be like a guy that doesn't really hear the voice of God very well. Um, so I'm guessing Paul was a little baffled by all this. You know, the Lord was telling him what not to do, but what, what was he supposed to do? Um, he must have wondered why the Lord was forbidding him to go into these areas. Maybe it was dangerous. Maybe who knows what, you don't have a reason, just God saying, no, don't go. probably a little confused, and I think maybe even a little embarrassed. They end up lodging in Troas, and Paul goes to bed. Watch what happens, verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there. Now this is like a faraway place over the water urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Troas, where Paul was at that point, was about 70 miles by boat to Macedonia, uh, quite far. And this story, okay, is a reminder that God will get us to where he wants us to be. He just has his strange ways of doing that. Uh, the question I had was, <laughs> maybe you have this question too, why didn't God give Paul the vision about Macedonia earlier before we, they started to go in this direction and that direction? I mean, they started off on two different courses, right? Which God then halted Think of all the time and the energy and the planning and, you know, caravanning together. It wasn't just like hop on a subway. It was just, there, there, was, there was logistics involved and traveling on foot back in those days and mapping out the areas and all that. My theory is that God wanted Paul to slow down and perhaps wanted to give the team some extra time for prayer and relationship building. Now, I'm just speculating, right? I mean, these things happen in our lives and, and, and we, God doesn't always, how many know, God doesn't always explain why he does what he does. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, God, what is going on? Nothing, crickets, you know, and you just have to wonder, you know, what God is doing. But that, that's just my theory. Um, I do have a, an example from my own life. It makes me think of the time, my wife will remember this well, that we were up in Boston doing college ministry for several years. I was young in my 20s. Um, and we were feeling the call to come to Providence and plant uh, Chi Alpha Campus Ministries in, in the city of Providence, you know, at Brown and RISD and all that. Um, but, and we, 
went forward with this. We were like raising money. We were telling people about it. We were starting, we started ministry at RISD and we started ministry at Providence College, actually, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but the more I got into it, and it wasn't that good things weren't happening. Actually, a lot of really cool things were happening through, through these two, two ministries, but I, I was just feeling unsettled. I was like, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. It just does, isn't not feeling right. And it was bothering me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, I just said, I, I can't make this commitment because it's like a 10-year commitment if I'm not sure that I'm supposed to do it. So I just said to the director, which was really not a fun conversation, uh, the regional director, yeah, we're not going to do it, actually, even though we've been like kind of doing this for the last six months. We've made a decision not to do it. And I won't tell you about that conversation, but <laughs> it, didn't, it wasn't a happy conversation. But I felt so much peace that I had made the right decision. Um, but then what are we supposed to do? Well, another opportunity comes our way. Uh, this, you know, went to like this conference and connected with some of you might know Gary Wilkerson, one of the sons of David Wilkerson, who was our old pastor. And so we were going to... Uh, do this thing in Denver and, you know, Gary was like planting a church out there and he invited us to be on staff and it was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I am so excited about this. So we, right in the midst of all this, we're feeling the, the, the excitement of it. Um, out of the total blue, Tiffany's aunt who lives in Denver, like gives us plane tickets to Denver uh, for Christmas. I mean, we're like, this is totally God, right? I mean, this, how can this not be God? Like God is just giving that beautiful confirmation of just letting us know that we're in the center of his will. Well, long story short, this thing fell apart um, and it didn't happen. Like kind of slowly just died over the course of like several months. And we were just spit out at the end of that. Like, what is going on? You know, we're going to do this. No, we're going to do this thing in Denver. So excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be great. No, it's not going to happen. We are like, what are we supposed to do? And long story short, you know, we ended up uh, coming on staff at a, at a church in, in, in the Providence area. And we served in that church for five years. And, and it was good and stretched us and changed us. This is, for those who don't know, uh, some of the Teen Challenge uh, ladies would know Pat Manzo. So I served under Pat for, uh, for four years, full-time staff. And you know, it's Pat Manzo. He just he whips you into shape. Any lazy bone in you or anything that's just off, he is going to, he is like, when you're on the anvil, he's the one that has the, you know, the instrument in his hand, like hammering away at you. Um, in, in, in love, of course. <laughs> in great Christian love. But he, he just like really whips you into shape. And it was life transforming for me. But you know, I just look back and be like, God, why didn't you just call me to that before? You know, why did I have to go through the Denver and Chi Alpha and Pro all this stuff? You know, the Lord has his ways. Because I look back at that was a very difficult season for me. It was probably one of the worst years of my life in terms of just like trial, dark night of the soul. God was shaping me. He was purifying motives. He was humiliating me. I mean, he was just like bringing me low and honestly, looking back on it now, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I needed that, that season of being sort of broken and humbled by all that. So th 
the Lord knows what he's doing. He has his strange ways of getting us to where he needs to be. I'm not sure if that's encouraging, but there it is. Okay. All right. Moving on to uh, verse 11. So this kind of next story um, shows how God opens the heart. Um, we do the work, we speak the words, but it, it, it's God who actually does, does the heart opening. So verse 11 says, so setting sail from Troas, again, 70 miles, uh, we made a direct voyage to, I don't know how to say that, Samothras, Samothrachi. I don't know. <laughs> it could be anything. And the following day to Neapolis. And then verse 12, from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city, Paul says, or actually Luke says, for some days. Uh, let me comment here that when they showed up in, in this, in Macedonia, they, they didn't get to work uh, building a church building. They didn't even look for a place to rent. They didn't hold tent crusades. They didn't try to be clever with some new crazy outreach. They just, I love that, they remained in the city some days. What did they do? They just spent time with the people. Um, like good missionaries, they listened. They walked the streets. They got to know people. They had conversations and they waited for God to open doors. And he definitely opens doors, as we will see. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, supposed, uh, there was a place of prayer. You know, in other words, they kind of heard that there was a place of prayer, some people gathering together. And so they sat down and spoke to the woman who had, the women who had come together. I've read that so many times that as I studied this time, I, I, I realized that there was, this wasn't just a, a kind of a random prayer gathering of a few uh, women down by a river. It just seems like it is. Uh, but actually, this was a thing that would happen in cities and towns where there were no Jewish synagogues. Because I guess it took, uh, back then, it took 10 married men to form a synagogue. And remember, this is like far away. This is Philippi. It's a very pagan city. Uh, there were no Jewish synagogues in this city. But there was just this little Maybe there was more than this, but this was one of, or maybe the only, uh, little gathering of people who had some measure of knowledge of the Jewish God. All right, so that's what, what's happening. So, and of course, Paul often would go to synagogues, right? He would start in synagogues and kind of start there and look for the ripe ones and see what God would do. And um, that was often his kind of default mission. Maybe he, uh, because he was a Jew, he would have a, an opportunity to speak. Um, so let's uh, hit on verse 14. One who heard us, one who was at this, this gathering, this little sort of informal synagogue plant, if you want to call it that, uh, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. And she was a worshiper of God, described as a worshiper of God. In other words, she had some measure of uh, the knowledge of God. You know, I'm not sure if she identified as a Jewish believer, but she seemed to be, God was doing a work in her heart and to the point where she wanted to gather with others and, and learn about the scriptures or learn about God or worship God. Well, it says this, the Lord 
opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I like the NIV version better. It says the Lord opened her heart to receive Paul's message. Now that should be encouraging to you. You don't need to be clever. Not that you don't need to kind of do your homework and, and, and make sure that you're a good messenger and you're giving the gospel message but in the right way, but you don't need to have the answer for everything. You don't need to be the greatest apologist that ever lived. We just need to be messengers. To tell, tell your story. If you're super new in Christ, you tell your story. This is what uh, Jesus did in my life. This is why I'm a Christian. Um, tell people that. That's a good starting place. But you don't have to be persuasive, right? Paul even said that in another portion of scripture that, you know, I didn't come with persuasive words of wisdom and cleverness. I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't through like this, you know, uh, ultra gifted persuasiveness that people's hearts were opened up and turned to, to God. Um, obviously persuasion plays a role. Paul argued persuasively in, in the synagogues actually, but it's, God, ultimately, that touches the heart, that opens the heart. So don't get too stressed about it. Like, oh, I got to be more persuasive. Just, just be faithful. Just plant those seeds. Just share the gospel. You know, just when doors open up, just, just share, share your story. And let God do it. Let God do the work. And that's exactly what happened in, in Lydia. Um, her heart was open. Verse 15, she was baptized. Her whole household, which really included not just like her, you know, immediate family, but it was like anybody who was lit, her servants, her, just the whole, everyone, okay? Um, everyone who was connected to her uh, came. And she urged Paul and his companions, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so Lydia was an immigrant. Um, she was probably wealthy. We don't know for sure, but she was in a lucrative business at that time. She was from Thyatira, which was across the sea, um, but she was now living in Philippi. So it doesn't seem like she was just a businesswoman, just on a sort of a business trip um, in town for a couple of weeks, but she, was, she had a house. Uh, she was living there. She's described as a worshiper of God. She has a measure of God's knowledge. We might call her, like we like to use the, the language, ripe for salvation. God was already at work in her. But she hadn't yet heard the message of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we're sharing the gospel with some people and man, it's like, it feels like you are, it's like a rock and you can't even get anywhere. They are just not open at all. And then it seems like other people, like a couple weeks ago, I was talking with this kid when, in one of our car dealership interactions, and he was just so open to the gospel. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even bring it. He asked me what I did. I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. And then he just started just like going off on all this stuff. Like, oh, yeah. You know, once I hit, like, 1920, I was, like, starting to think, like, yeah, who is God? Like, Hey God, you know, and he's like kind of tight. Like he's just a seeker. He's like a worshiper of God with no knowledge of God, really. I'm like, wow, okay, this is, is this for real? This, this is like so easy right now. <laughs> and it was just wide open. And that, I think that's how, how Lydia was. She was just ripe, ripe, ripe. 
So she opens her whole home and, and Paul and his companions spend several days there. And this account reminds us again that we do the speaking and the planting of seeds, but it is God who gives the increase, right? The teen challenge ladies are nodding, right? How many people shared the gospel with you when you were in the, you know, the height of your drug use and you just weren't having it? Like, it's just like, I don't want that. I don't care about that. But when the Lord opens the heart, it's just, you just melt, melt into his arms. All right, this next story is fun. And this kind of, um, I titled it, God Uses Annoying People. Uh, verse 16 says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Um, again, he uses the word we because this is Luke writing this uh, book, the book of Acts, right? So Luke is, it shows us Luke was actually one of the companions. He was a doctor. It was good to have a doctor when you're getting flogged and beaten. But anyway, we are introduced to a slave girl who was apparently uh, someone who had the ability to tell fortunes, uh, which made her owners a lot of money. And this kind of thing is still practiced, right? It seems like in certain places, uh, tarot cards and palm reading. I don't know if there's probably one in Providence, like on the east side or something like that. Um, but it's when someone pays money for someone to tell them secrets about themselves or something about their future, in some cases, maybe many cases, it's just a hoax. You know, it's just a funny, weird thing that people do. But in other cases, it's, it's real, okay? Demonic spirits see things that humans don't see. And so some fortune tellers who are very wrapped up in the demonic are able to kind of be a conduit to have a real ability to reveal things. We're not sure exactly. I, I think she, she, she was the latter, um, this, this uh, slave girl. So verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out. Now this sounds good on the surface, right? When you, especially when you're, you're reading it. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. You know, you'd think Paul, maybe the first time she said it, Paul was like, yeah, thank you. A little recognition around here. But this she kept doing for many days, okay? And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Why was Paul so annoyed by this? Again, I'm just asking these questions. He may have been bothered that someone who identified as a fortune teller this practice of divination and witchcraft, right, was associating with his ministry. Maybe it was causing confusion. Like people thought, you know, she was so loud and maybe Paul was a little bit on the quieter side. I don't know, but people just thought, oh, here's Paul and new crowd of people that are hanging out with the fortune teller. They're just another group of new fortune tellers coming through the town. So maybe Paul was bothered by that. Another possibility, I think is a really good one, was that what she was saying was true, but she was saying it in a mocking tone. And she did this for several days. Uh, what's the phrase again? These men are servants of the most high God. <laughs> you know, maybe she was even laughing as she said it, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. You know, and, and it's just like the whole way that she said it was like irreverent and just almost a mocking tone that it just was grating on Paul for days until he uh, 
he kind of snaps in the spirit in Christian love. <laughs> the slave girl represents, uh, did I miss something here? Yes. Let me see. Yes, okay, I just said that. So the slave girl represents a second kind of person added to the church in Philippi. Um, I kind of picture her, this is me, but um, dressed in a black flowing dress, uh, maybe a headscarf, a little strange jewelry, spacey, long straggly hair, uh, black makeup around the eyes, uh, mystical piercing eyes. Um, I'm just describing some of my girlfriends. Uh, <laughs> back, back in the day. There was, but there was a whole subculture in the 80s in Western Mass, okay, that, of like new agey kind of witch type women. But, you know, she was... <laughs> I'm just trying to help, you know, you to picture things, okay? Show, show don't tell, right? Um, but she was poor, likely being a slave. Come on, how much more poor can you be? Um, but what a contrast, right? This is cool. This is where the... You know, God, God's, not humor, but, you know, how God works. He brings all different kinds of people together. Here's Lydia. You know, I picture Lydia, the businesswoman, wealthy, who probably wore, like, a purple business suit, right? You know, hanging out with, uh, again, this is the church forming in, in Philippi, hanging out with this slave girl, hippie, new age person. Okay. Um, God saves all different kinds of people and unites them, brings them together. Verse 19. Here's where it goes crazy. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before their rulers. So picture this scene. You get the idea that they aren't just like escorted nicely. They are violently dragged. I picture like my parochial school days, first grade through fourth grade of like these teachers like grabbing you by the, the big head of hair and just dragging you across the room or by the ear um, and you are just like, it's not just like this hurts. This is actually totally humiliating before 30 of my peers. This was mistreatment to the hilt, right? Paul and Silas were made spectacles to the whole marketplace crowd. Verse 20, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the whole crowd uh, joined in attacking them. This is scary, right? This is a time in the life of the church when, when Christians died. Uh, Stephen was stoned to death. James was beheaded. Like, things happened. So their crowd is around them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, the jailer put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This whole thing escalated very quickly and it was very unfair. No trial. I mean, lies were told. Uh, even the ethnic um, kind of hatred that people had toward the Jews was, you know, kind of stirred and used, employed to, to, to make this thing happen quickly. Paul and Silas are beaten with rods in prison, placed in stocks. Think about stocks, you know, you can't even tend to your wounds. 
We aren't sure what time of day this happened, but you get the idea that it was probably during the day when the crowds were in the market and the magistrates were on duty. And okay, just to be funny for a minute here, can you imagine the conversation between Paul and Silas? So Silas is like the new missionary, right? Can you just imagine like Silas? Um, Paul, so how do you think things are going? <laughs> or, or, gee, Paul, I just want to thank you for uh, choosing me to come on this, <laughs> this exciting mission. Um, but no, joking aside, I'm sure, I'm sure Paul reminded Silas of the importance of suffering. And I even picture them talking about the theology of suffering and how God uses suffering to advance his kingdom. You know, maybe they talked about that for a few hours until finally they hit a point and decide to sing some songs and pray some prayers, which leads me to this last part. God turns even the worst circumstances into opportunities to expand his kingdom. So about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Imagine the prayers that they prayed that the prisoners were listening to. Prayers of forgiveness. Prayers of blessing on maybe the jailer. You know, prayers for their persecutors, for the magistrates that stripped them and, and beat them publicly. They're just praying these incredible prayers. Maybe that God would shake the prison and, and set people free, maybe thinking spiritually. Uh, who knows what they prayed? I'm sure they prayed for deliverance. God, get us out of this place. This is terrible. Help us, Lord. Have mercy. Well, verse 26, the Lord answers the prayer. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone, this is everyone in the prison, everyone's bonds were unfastened. I mean, prison doors are unlocked by keys, right? But God doesn't need a key. All the doors were just supernaturally, I think probably simultaneously, just opened up. And the bonds, imagine if you're a prisoner with, 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 with you know, something around your ankles and around your wrist. Wouldn't you just kind of play with it, fiddle it, fiddle with it all day? How can I slide out of this? No way to get out of it. And all of a sudden, just click, it just falls to the ground. Can you imagine the shock and what? and wonder of the prisoners in, in this moment. Well, verse 27, when the jailer woke, I guess he, I don't know if he was sleeping through the earthquake, but he saw that the prison doors were opened and kind of had a moment of like fear, like because his job is to, of course, keep everybody safe, you know, in the prison, keep everybody secure. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, this might seem strange, but I think if you didn't fulfill your responsibility as, uh, you know, as a jailer in this particular environment 2,000 years ago in Ro Roman Empire days, uh, it could be bad. It would be better maybe to kill yourself than to be humiliated, beaten, killed, whatever. Crucible. I don't even know what they would do to him, but he was scared, scared enough to start to take his own life. But Paul, verse 28, says... Paul cries with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. <laughs> I think this is really funny, actually, that the prison doors are opened and the bonds are out and, and they're just in all in such shock that they're just, they're just frozen. And I don't know, what were they doing? They were just taking it in. 
and maybe they were talking, processing things. Wow, what just happened? Did you did your bonds fall off too? Yeah, ours fell off too. Should the door the prison door is open? Should we walk out of it? I don't know. Let's just hang out here for a little while and just see what you know. I mean, it's so interesting that it's just all there. Maybe having church or something. I don't know. We have to read in between the lines to figure these things out. But what we do know is that the jailer comes in, calls for lights, rushes in, trembling with fear, falls down before Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? Wow, what a question. And so, of course, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not exactly sure what hit his heart, but something got a hold of his heart. The spirit, maybe he heard some of the prayers Maybe he did hear the earthquake. Maybe he saw them. We're not even sure what it was that caught the jailer, but he, was, he just came trembling and asking to be saved. I mean, we make jokes about that, that like people are so not open to the gospel that, you know, oh yeah, you know, like I had this conversation with somebody and they said, hey, what must I do to be saved? Like how many has that like happened? To? That, like, that never happens to me. Uh, you know, it just seems like this was, God was moving in this guy's heart. And so verse 31, they said, well, here it is. What must you do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And so they spoke the word of the Lord to him and everyone who was in his house. And the jailer uh, took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds and uh, was baptized. Um, everyone in the house was baptized, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him and rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So I'm going to skip the last part so we can get to some worship. But um, I will say this, that his transformation was really beautiful. That uh, And maybe I'm, I don't know, I'm just picturing, okay, I've watched a lot of movies. So usually the jailer, in, in, in movies, it's not like some like really nice man who's like gentle and everything. And, you know, he's like thoughtful. Hey, you guys got enough, got, got enough water? You know, like usually not the picture of hospitality. Um, like they're usually like mean and rough. And maybe this guy was, was kind of like that. You know, just picture this like tough. He's probably big. I mean, you had to deal with situations that were happening in prisons. So, and he was probably, you know, he was a jailer. He had a job, he had a full time, maybe more of a middle class guy, middle class, rough, tough guy jailer. Don't you love how this is like the beginning of the church in Philippi? Lydia, the um, power woman, educated, purple suit, businesswoman, right? She probably was very articulate. And then the slave girl, mystic. And her whole thing, and then this tough guy jailer. Like this, this is this is God's wisdom, <laughs> right? Isn't it cool though? How God does things how we would never do. And maybe if Paul was left alone, he would he would just go to people he was comfortable with. But this is who God wanted to raise up. And listen, that last thing. So just to just to really blow your mind for a minute, Paul shows up right in this place. And what happens? One annoying slave girl triggers a reaction. Think about this. Like that annoying slave girl that 
Paul like rebuked the demon out of and then the owners like flipped. Like just that one experience caused the slave girl to come to Christ, caused the owners to hear the gospel of the slave girl, caused the magistrates to hear about Jesus, to capt- it captivated the crowds of people in the marketplace who were all asking, who is this person? What is this message? What is this all about? Paul got to share the gospel with all the people in prison who heard the songs and the prayers. The jailer and the jailer's whole family heard the gospel. <laughs> My question is, could, could Paul have ever orchestrated all of that gospel advancement? Look, be led by the Spirit and let God do the work. He opens the hearts. He leads. He orchestrates. You say, what do we do? I don't know. Like, we just show up. We just say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use my mouth. Use my life. And just watch what he will do through us as we step out and let him use us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. This was a lot of information. All right. I even skipped. Sorry, Dan. (laughs) <laughs> but um, we're going we're gonna to go. If you have little kids that um, you probably need to grab, you know, maybe get them in about 10 minutes. Uh, for the rest of us, we are going to um, just take the next 20 minutes, all right? And we are going to worship God. If you're in a super hurry, you know, no judgment, need to leave early or whatever, but we, we don't want to rush God, we want to spend some time in worship this morning. So we're going to go a little longer than we we usually do. But I know Dan has a good 20, right? You got a good block of worship. So shake it up. Let's stand up together. Um, Shake off that, you know, if your stomach is saying I'm hungry, uh, just mine is too. Uh, But just like set that aside for now, okay? It's time to, let's just focus in on the Lord. Let's draw close to him. Let's ask God to give us wisdom and to fill us with fresh power for this week in how we interact with people around us. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening.